Could you hear me without the mic? Kind of. I don't know how people preached before microphones. What in the world? I mean, Jesus spoke to thousands, and they all heard him, so I guess he had a booming voice. Um, thank you for helping me. I wasn't picking up the right signals. If I looked over here, Brenda would have, would have, would have helped me out too. So, um, Well, I want you to turn in, in uh, your Bibles to the book of Acts this morning. We're going to dive into it. We've been, uh, this is such a fascinating book to me. I, I don't know how many times I've been through it over the last couple of months. And every time I read it, I see something I didn't see before. That's just like the Bible, isn't it? No matter how many times you read a passage of Scripture, I guarantee you, you can look at Psalm 23, and as much as you and I think we know it, God will show you something. You know, it just, that's the way it is. It's, you can't exhaust the things that are in that book. Um, but it's, a, it's his incredible contribution to the Gospels to add this book to the New Testament, the book of Acts. It's like bits and pieces of 30 years, of the first 30 years of Christianity. It's just, it's just little nuggets over those 30 years that he gives us, and that's Acts. And you look at the church today, and, and what, how would you describe the church today? Well, before you say anything, I want to I tell you I believe the church is alive and well. I think sometimes we get a little too critical about things, and uh, we're going to touch on some of that. But the church has always, not in the New Testament only, but the church has always been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Church is doing well today. It's alive. It's vibrant. Um, people are hungry for the presence of God. People are thirsty. They're energized. I see a hunger in people's lives. I see an openness to people. When you talk to them about the Lord, about what they need the Lord to do in their lives, I've I see a more openness in talking to people about the Lord, a responsiveness uh, with tears. You know, grown men crying. You mentioned, you know, what you shared with this electrician, and, and I've seen that in just some people I've reached out to, that, that God is speaking to them. And I want to tell you something. We are the same church empowered by the Holy Spirit that that first generation of people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit and we, we look at the American culture, and yes, we have problems, but you just lay it alongside the Roman culture. The Roman world at that time to have this show up in that world and their numbers exploded. Why shouldn't we expect there to be a response? Because the greater the darkness, it seems like the greater the light and the greater the contrast. And they went... To the east, all the way to India, Thomas made his way all the way to India in the southern part in Kerala. And there is a church, a, there's believers there that track their genealogy, their spiritual genealogy back to Thomas. And he was martyred there. But they went all across North Africa, all the way into Europe. This generation of believers impacted the Roman world. They found the pagan Roman world fertile soil for the gospel. Why shouldn't we find our culture fertile soil for the church today? It is. Now, here's the question. How did they do it? Or maybe we should say, how did God do it in them and how did God do it through them? Are, are those relevant questions? Can we maybe learn from that? Uh, it, or is that just, you know, I bounce things off of Brenda when I'm 
studying at home, and I, I'll come in and ask her questions. And one of the questions I asked her one morning, uh, just really throwing myself into this book, the book of Acts, I said, do you think this is just for our history that we just need to know, be informed that this is what happened? Or is some of that supposed to be in us today? Or if not, all, is all of that for us? Or is it just for them? Are we just kind of left out of that? I don't think so. I think all of that that happened there is what God intended to happen now. Right? I believe it's for today. It's, it's not for that group only. And some people would say certain passages in the book of Acts, because I, I, I went to seminary and it was not a seminary that was uh, driven toward a Pentecostal a, a perspective, but there was, there was this sentiment there that those problematic, those problematic, uncomfortable passages in the book of Acts was, was just for that day. It was just to launch the church into that culture, and it needed that as though we don't need that today in our culture. And so if we find something problematic, we find a way to push it away from us and say, you know, I don't think that's for us today. And we're missing out God pouring his presence in our lives because we kind of hold back, you know, allowing him to invade our thoughts to the point that we, he reorganizes our thoughts and really breaks down our resistance to have. Acts should not make you nervous. Revelation should make you nervous. <laughs> There's some people just avoid revelation like the plague just because it's... Revelation should make you nervous, but Acts should not make you nervous. But what it should do, it should cause us to have a greater longing for the presence of God and the power of God. It should make us long. When you see what happens there and you're like, Lord, I want to I want to experience that. I want to know that. I want to be in the midst of that. And that longing, friends, is, um, is not without the prospects of us realizing it. It's within our reach. Do you realize that the power of God, a level of of the power of God is within your reach that will take you further than you've ever been. I don't know about you, but I love thinking that way. You know, there's some things on my bucket list that I, I, I would love to go to, to Europe. I would love to go to the Muse Oregon Military Cemetery there. I, I'd love to do some of that. But I've been as far east as Russia you can get in, in Karabonova. Uh, Habarus, rather. I was in Karabonova near Moscow. But I was on the Mu River between China and Russia. And I remember praying in my room. I was by myself teaching uh, college students for three weeks by myself. No English anywhere around me except the interpreter. And I'm, I'm kneeling in, in my room. Talk to Brenda every morning. And I'm telling God, I'm stretched as far as I can be stretched. I'm done. I can't be stretched anymore. I was sick, had a sinus infection. I was in Moscow, and they were telling me to eat lemons with honey and all kinds of stuff with it, and it was horrible. <laughs> but I did find halls. Halls is everywhere. I hit the jackpot. But we think, we, we think well, is there anything beyond the horizons we've been? I want to tell you, there's a lot more for you. There, God has a lot more for you. You have not bumped the boundary of what's possible. 
there is such a vastness to God, and I think he wants to take, I just believe he wants to take us all past that boundary. So today I pose two questions, and this is the title of this message this morning. I've, I pose two options for you. Let's put it that way. And, and these are the options. Are they up there? Daily or Sunday? Daily or Sunday? You'll see in the sermon notes in the bulletin, you got one in the bulletin. There's five points I'm going to give you this morning related to that message. I was, um, before I get to those points, I want to tell you something. Uh, there's, there's some pastor groups you're talking about. Do we know anything about Skyland Baptist? John Wiggins pastors, young guy, great pastor. Uh, Brother Jimmy Garner was there. And if you know Jimmy Garner, he, he's like Herb Thomas. He's just a great guy. But, uh, and he's a NASCAR guy too. So he, he's got to, you know, he's got to be likable if you're a NASCAR guy. But we go, I go to this pastor's thing they have maybe once a quarter. And it's kind of like learning in something. I, I don't even remember what it's called. But we, we have lunch. So that's all that matters is we have lunch. It's a box lunch with Chick-fil-A. So somehow I'll say hallelujah to that. But uh, he, it, it was, I, I can't even begin to tell you what the topic was. Well, I will. How about that? Um, John Quick was the one who organized these things. And his, he hired three people with the permission of churches to be secret shopper worshipers. And he made sure that the church was okay if they sent someone just to see how they're greeted, how the children's ministry is, how all, and they, and they take notes, and the host church gets those notes. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, because he has not called me and asked for my permission. Because if he did, we'd be out there with popsicles and something to welcome people. And, and one of the guys that was telling about his experience, he, he felt like he encountered the pastor in the foyer near a, a book table, and the pastor brushed him off. In his mind, he said, he got like, pastor like, uh, he said, how much is the book? Oh, I'll get somebody to let you know, and he walks off. And I was like, and he gave permission for a secret shopper to come, and like, he ought to be hugging him, you know. But anyway, in that discussion, John says, how many of you pastors attend church when you're on vacation. I, w I was in the minority, I can tell you that. <laughs> I, as, as a handful of us lifted our hands, I was like, you people need Jesus. You know, I was like, what is, what is wrong with y'all? Because Brenda would tell you, I, I love church. It doesn't matter when we were in New Orleans for our 40th wedding anniversary, a great place to celebrate your anniversary. The World War Museum's there. We went on this um, boat ride into a, a swamp tour, fed alligators and looked at alligators. We, we just had such a good time. But I finished reading Francine's book, uh, Redeeming Love, Sunday morning, and I was a mess. You know, I walk in, I'm, I'm just a mess. And I tell her, I says, we're not going to go to a mega church. We're going to find, <laughs> I am so messed up. It's all her fault. And we found a little storefront, Assembly of God church. We were the third and fourth people to walk in. We thought we missed time. <laughs> and, and we were on time. And there was two ladies in the little sound room. And 
people started trickling in, and maybe, what, 30 people or so. But I, I cried during the whole service. I was, so, I, I was so broken the whole time. But here's the thing. I, this happens so many times. A young African-American girl walks up to me and says, Pastor Lynn, and I look at her, and I was like, I came in, in, in anonymity here. You know, I'm, I'm all messed up. I'm, I'm broken. And she said, Pastor Lynn, I said, yeah, do I know you? She said, probably not. But I was in Chi Alpha at the University of Alabama, and I attended a couple of times, and I thought I recognized you, and God has me here to help this little church get started. Don't tell me God doesn't arrange things. But I was there, I was there, and I tell her, I love Sundays. I treasure Sundays. I couldn't wait for us to find a church on that sabbatical. We, we went to four different churches, and I took my notes. I, I just wanted to hear the word of God and worship the Lord. Who doesn't want to do that? I guess some pastors in the city when they're on vacation. <laughs> I'm looking at like, no wonder we're in trouble. <laughs> the leaders don't even care. Okay. I, I got that out of my system. But listen, I treasure Monday as much as I treasure Sunday. I treasure Monday the same way I treasure Friday. And I can feel the vibes when I say that. Here's what I'm feeling. If you were in my line of work, you wouldn't treasure Monday like Friday. We treasure Friday. I'm just saying every day is this possibility of God speaking into our lives, hearing his voice, worshiping him. And I think when you look at those two options, is Sunday prominent? It certainly is prominent, especially in our culture, in our church culture. But Monday should be important too. And that kind of leads me into the last two verses of chapter 2 in the book of Acts. Verses 46 and 47 are the th first two points on the back of your bulletin. The first one is constant contact. Some of you might recognize that, right? Constant contact. It's a, it's a website for businesses who want to send out mass emails. And, uh, you know, uh, Brother Drawn, our district superintendent, he's in constant contact. But I want you to see what verse 46 says. This is the first thing about how the church did it that day, and we can learn from it. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Go back to that first two words. Every day, every day they had contact. And I think if we see the temple area, it was prominent in Jewish life. And they just didn't stop being interested in temple activity. They, they would go there. They would go there and they would worship. But it was their place of gathering, this new collection of believers. This is where they went to meet together. Didn't have any buildings. They have homes. And you see the latter part, that's what happened in their homes. In homes, they went, they broke bread, they ate together, they fellowship. And I would think that every day has something to do with that part. But every day they would go to the temple court. There was times of prayer. And that court was divided up into two sections. It was the men's court and the women's court. They did not have a wall, but there was a somewhat of a, a, a curtain-like petition. There not much. The women knew the court that they were allowed in, 
But anything, anything like at Acts 3, the, the cripple being healed at the gate, beautiful, anything that happened, both areas heard about it, any commotion. So when Peter began to tell all of those people in the courtyard what had happened to that man, women and men heard it. Be, and in that group were people that had already came to the Lord on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 of them. And there was 5,000 that responded that day. So what happened in Acts 3 was obviously known to everybody else there. They had constant contact, and it was purposeful contact. It wasn't accidental running into each other somewhere along the day. Breaking bread, fellowship, that's another word for eating. You know, we have fellowship if we eat. We don't have fellowship if we don't eat, Right? But the tone was this, they had glad and sincere hearts. They, were, they had glad and sincere hearts, even though they were in isolation from their support system. You remember the man that uh, was born blind and Jesus put mud on his eyes and sent him off and he, and he washed the mud off and, his, and he could see. And you remember them calling the parents because they didn't believe the guy was blind. They didn't believe he was born blind. And the parents come in and they really are non-cooperative witnesses here. And you know why they're not cooperating? You know why they don't want to say too much? It's because if you chose to go with Jesus and his group, you got cut off economically from the community. You lost whatever opportunities you had at work. The, the help that you got from the synagogue was cut off. That's why they had to feed the widows, because if you became a Christian, you was cut off from all of that. But here they are, they're being cut off from all their established support systems, and they're not complaining. With glad and sincere hearts, they're just like, but isn't this great? We're shut out by everything else, but we're in with God. We're in with his presence. If not daily, don't you think we need more contact than just on Sunday? Don't you think somewhere along the way we need more interaction with each other they did the kind of contact contact as we have often you know it keeps us from being isolated and we deal with isolation and individualism today we just want to do things alone be alone and that's good but it's not good spiritually if we maintain isolation we need contact we need fellowship. We need communication. We, we need to support each other. But we need to be together as we support each other. Now, I, it sounds like I'm going to just preach your Sunday school class lesson. But when you look at verse 47, you cannot argue with the results of their constant contact. When you see what verse 47 says, you realize that the investment that they were making in verse 46 had tremendous results. If you're there, it says, praising God. This is a continuation, actually. With glad and sincere hearts, they were having this constant contact. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, underline that, and the Lord added to their number, there it is again. What's that word? Daily. Every day, the church was growing. Not 52 times a year, the church could experience growth but every day 365 days was the prospect for the church expanding and we don't think that way we do not think that way 
We think we're witnessing for the Lord if we invite somebody to church. And we want to make them our convert because sometimes they're attending another church. What is that? That's what God calls us to do. Well, come over here, TFA, much better. Come on, we do things so much more authentically New Testament. You know, I don't, I don't get inviting someone that attends somewhere to, uh, what is that? It, it shouldn't happen, I can tell you that. It should, that shouldn't come into our mind. Is that that's the way we're going to grow our church. We're just going to take from other people's churches. I'm just, tell, I'm just being clear with you because a lot of people don't say this, but this is the way the church grows sometimes, where Congregations sometimes grow sometimes because of the exit of people from other churches. That's just the reality we live in. People church shop, and they find a better place, and they just go there. True, authentic relationships are not built that way. That we find the, the best place, like what restaurant are we going to go eat at? And, and that's the way we make our choices. They had constant results steady results and get this who added to their numbers the lord it didn't say and they added to their numbers right i don't add you don't add it's the lord that does the addition the lord giving him the opportunity to work through us compels people to experience him if we try to add it doesn't work I'll amen myself for that. <laughs> the church is daily active. This is verse 46. The church is daily active. And is it just by chance that the Lord is daily active and adding to their numbers? Or are those two things connected? That they are in relationship and they're having favor with people and God is speaking through them, and people are seeing what's happening. And even though they know there's the hazard of joining forces with them, they still are being coming, they're still coming into the kingdom of God. Those being saved, that's who he's adding. Those being saved. You know, one of the hardest things for a church to do is try to disciple unbelievers. Because they had to be saved. Right? You have to be saved. You, can, you know, God doesn't call us to know the Bible so we can be not as bad a sinner as we are, but to be a transformed person. And once we're transformed, it says the Lord added to their numbers daily those who are being transformed, those who are having a transformational encounter with Jesus. Then I'll take you to chapter 5. This is the next point. I won't spend too much time on these next two, but it's just because this daily thing just pops up again, again and again. In, in chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And day after day, and I take that daily, right? Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stop teaching. They never stop teaching. They never stop proclaiming or preaching the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They were constantly involved in declaring who Jesus was and is. 
day by day, teaching. Teaching never stopped. Why did the teaching never stop? It's not a trick question. Because the need to learn never stops. The absolute necessity to learn never stops. People have all kinds of degrees, postgraduate degrees, doctorals, whatever. That doesn't mean you don't learn more. It means you probably have a greater responsibility to learn and a greater responsibility to give what you have learned to others. When the need translates to thirst and longing and reaching and exploring, we find ourselves surprised by what we discover. Not so much by what we discover, but how dreadfully the dearth of information we had as we're learning. I'm telling you, the more I learn and the more I read Acts, it's not, I can't hardly enjoy what I've discovered without thinking, where have I been? That was there the whole time. What, is, what am I missing here? The first time I read The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee, I felt like I never, ever read the book of Romans. You know, I'm looking at this. I think I read that a few times, but I didn't see it. There's so much in the book of Acts. There's so much here that talks about the daily teaching, the daily ministry. You know, even the enemies of the Bible. I've told you before, I've kind of like befriended or become followers of atheists on Twitter, and then I just had to bail out. It was just, uh, well. But I, I wanted to engage them, want to hear what, how they come to the conclusion. But even the enemies of the Bible will take passages in the Bible as authentic enough to argue against the Bible. And I don't know why it's just my warped way of thinking. So, so if you believe that the passage that you find problematic in the Bible is authentic, why don't you treat the rest of it as authentic? Or am I thinking weird or what? Is, and that doesn't, that doesn't they, they don't get that. That just tells you that when you read the Word of God, don't read it with a pair of mental scissors in your mind. And that you make it a book that fits where you're at and not fit where this book is telling you to be. And that's why I think sometimes we read something and we just avoid it because it presses us. Where does it press us? It presses where we're deficient where we need for and maybe we don't want to admit that I've got an attitude problem I got a faith problem I got a lust problem I got this problem that problem because the Bible addresses it we're just going to avoid it and maybe I won't feel as uncomfortable this is why the teaching never stopped because the need for them to learn never stopped here's the fourth point and it's the ultimate search And it goes to Paul's second missionary journey where he ends up going into Macedonia to uh, Philippi and on down. And and now he heads to Berea. And 
this passage is probably familiar to people, especially with those who study discipleship, the bringing people. This is verse 11 in Acts 17, if you want to turn there. It says, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And this, that's an understatement. <laughs> more, more noble character. For they received the message with great eagerness. And watch this. Watch this. Here it comes. And examine the scriptures. How often? Every day. Every day to see if what Paul said was true. Every day. One of the things I came in and asked Brenda about, I sat down. Because I'll sit down if I want to just, if I have something long to discuss with her. And I said, can I just ask you a question? What if instead of on Sunday, everybody comes with their spoon and fork and says, okay, buddy, feed me. I, this is where I get my boost. <laughs> you got to help me. I got six days in front of me, and I came here to get my battery charged. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if you need a battery charge, right? But this is what I posed to her. I said, what if Monday through Saturday we have such communion with the Lord and fellowship with him that our cup is just pouring over, and instead of coming with the need for Sunday, we come ready to pour out the blessing that's in our life. I like that. I like that idea. I like the idea that that's where I should be. That's where I should, not, not to preach it, but to live it, to experience it. Not to have a sermon, but to have an experience with the Lord that is so fresh every day that he's able to speak to me. And the last one is this, high alert. Now, I told you the last two is not going to be very long, right? Or somewhere in there I said two of them are not going to be long. This is in chapter 20, verse 31. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts because this is like uh, Paul's swan song, you might say. This is, this is like, and even tells him, all of you sitting, all of you standing here, none of you are going to see me again. This is it. This is the last thing I'm on. This is my last visit with you. I don't think it's going to go well with me. Everywhere I go, there's prophecy that chains await me in Jerusalem, and I'm pretty much resolve that whatever's waiting on me, I'm not going to be back here in Ephesus. And he wasn't even in Ephesus. He called for them to meet him at the port there where they stopped over. And he's talking to them, and he's, and he's just kind of encouraging these leaders of the church from, from about 30 miles away in Ephesus. And, and um, he says this near the end, before he just commits them to the Lord, he says, so be on your guard. Be on your guard. Why? Well, if you read the previous, he says, you're when I'm gone, people are going to try to destroy you. And there'll be people within your own ranks that's going to bail out on what you've been taught, and they're going to try to destroy the flock. And you need to be on your guard. But what he said next was the illustration of what he was telling them. He used himself as an example of what it is to be on your guard. Are you there? This is verse 31. It might be up on the screen. 
Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you. How often? Night and day. That's a common phrase for Paul. He says it in 1 Thessalonians about night and day I pray for you. And I don't think he was a man of hyperbole that he just saying stuff that didn't happen. But he said, get this. This is a warning. He says, I've warned. He's warning them. I never stopped warning you. Why would he be such involved in warning them, issuing a warning to them? Be on your guard. I warn you night and day with tears for three years. For three years. What was he warning them of? When's the last time somebody warned you? When's the last time somebody really cared enough about you to warn you about a a relationship that looked toxic, about a behavior pattern that's going to be destructive, about getting refocused on where you need to be, but where you're at spiritually, where you're at socially, where you're at in your family. I'll just tell you, don't underestimate this little lady sitting right here. Because she felt great liberty in her soul to correct me early in our marriage. It was wonderful. Men just receive that so good, don't they? <laughs> and and we, had a, we had a son, and I'm, I'm, I'm a workaholic. I, this is where I tend to be. I, I love being in church. And I was at church every day. I love doing it. And one day she looks at me, and she says, you don't do anything with him. When he's three years of age, you don't take him anywhere. You don't do anything with him. That's not what God wants you to do. Well, thank you, dear. I so appreciate you sharing that with me. <laughs> no, when she said something like that, that was not her. When she said something, I paid attention because she's got a radar. She's got a radar. And most ladies in this room have a radar that, that the men don't have. They pick up stuff. They, they know in their hearts when something's not right, when, when we need to be aware of that. We need to be cautious of that. And it was more, more than once she warned. She, she was warning me. And, and I, that was when I started taking a day off in ministry. That day. And I started taking that kid fishing. I was with him when he caught his first fish. And he and I did a lot of things together. I can tell you, I can point it back to her. She loved me enough and loved our child enough to call me out. And there's a lot of people in this room that if your spouse tried to do that, you would lose it. And shame on you. And the reason I can say shame on you is because I didn't, I have received it really gratefully though. Uh, <laughs> but she was right. How, how can you argue with being right? She was right. I looked at Jason and I said, you're right. I loved what I was doing, but I was doing it too much at the expense of my family. And and when when is the last time someone kind of got that way with you that loved you enough to risk you being mad and to say I don't think this is right I don't think how you handled that was right where are we I'll tell you this I believe we can accept warnings from the Lord through someone when we're having daily contact with him 
because it softens the flesh in us, and it's the flesh in us that does not want to be corrected. Amen, pastor. The flesh does not want to be corrected. And I don't know how many times, I'll tell you, I've been through the book of Acts. It's just like, I don't know more I can discover, and I just keep discovering stuff. And last night I was going back through Acts 2, just going through it, and there it jumped out to me. It jumped out on this last point, so I included it this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And I want to tell you something. There's a word that has almost left our vocabulary in ministry. And it's the word repentance. It's the first word John the Baptist preached, and it's the first word Jesus preached. Both of them started from the same perspective. You're going, this is what repentance means. You're going, hello, you're growing in the wrong direction. You're on the wrong bus. Anyone here in this room, if you were on the wrong bus, wouldn't you like someone to tell you you're on the wrong bus? That's better than being on the wrong plane. Because it's going to take a lot longer for you to straighten that out. But that's what repentance means, to get off that bus Get on the one going in the right direction. Make a U-turn. That's what that word means. It makes a U-turn. And this is what Peter is telling the people on the day of Pentecost. There's 3,000 people responded, and he laid the wood to them. When you read what he, how he talked to them, and it's you that killed him. You nailed him to the cross. And it says they were cut to the core of their souls. Were they not? The Holy Spirit took that warning from him and cut to their heart, and they asked him, what are we to do? You tell us what we should do. We are aware that we've messed up. And I don't know whether we don't have that happen very much today is because we don't make that point. Hey, friend, you're going in the wrong direction. There's disaster waiting on you. The bridge is out. The road that you're on, the bridge is out. You're going to crash unless you turn around. And after, after he's told them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's for you and it's to your children and those whoever God calls. And the very next thing, he says, with many other words, look at this verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. He warned them and pleaded with them. He warned them. What did he tell them? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We could use some voices in our lives to confront where we're mess, messing up. God help us to have somebody in our life that loves us enough to see a pattern that they just can't allow us to continue to go in and they'll risk the friendship in order to confront. And that is exactly some of the stuff that you covered today. Is to be transparent enough to say what's going on. You know what? We don't even like people asking us what's going on. What we want them to do is say, good morning. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I am too. Bye. <laughs> and we walk away, and we're not doing good. 
I guarantee you, I can, I, can just, I can just pull a few people out right now and just help you see this. I'm not going to do that, by the way. So nobody gets nervous in the front section. But I, I, think, I, think, I think young people, anybody, ought to be able to say, what has God been talking to you lately? What scriptures have you been reading? What has he been speaking to you? What have you journaled with him? What has happened in your family? Are you praying with your family? Are you praying with your children? Are you seeking God? What is God speaking to you? Because that's exactly what we need. We need daily walking with God, not Sunday. If you put those two options up, I love Sunday. But I am so glad Monday the office of heaven is open for business. There's no shutdown. The Holy Spirit is very much ready to speak into our lives to reveal the presence of Jesus to us. And I want that. I want, I, I'm telling you, I'm preaching to myself. I want that. I long for that. I long for the presence of God. I want to, I want to know him in Philippians. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, the communion and fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable to his death. If by any means I might attain or get to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained it or apprehended it, but I've been apprehended by Jesus. So why not, if I'm apprehended by Jesus, why not I apprehend him and latch onto him and say, Lord, carry me, speak to me, reveal yourself to me. Because this woman could be used, could be helped by me being changed. Our home could be affected. And everything else is affected. How I affect my son, my daughter, our grandchildren. And listen, we, whatever God does in your life, it's not going to be restricted to you. God, everybody around you, everybody connected to you is going to feed off what God is doing in your life. And whatever he's not doing in your life, you're not in a vacuum because something else is influencing you if he's not. culture you live in is just waiting and waiting for these guys to let their guard down and he says be on your guard watch what you watch what's around you stay connected to the Lord because there's forces just waiting for you to shut the door on your fellowship and your communion with Jesus to take over your mind and your heart and destroy you would you stand with me and if you guys can come up I think it's the wilderness song I want I wanted to sing. But could you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Gee, I went eight minutes past twelve. So you'll get your refund at the welcome center. Not really. Just look at this. You got bonus coverage today. Past twelve. Seriously. I, w I would love for us all to be in a place where it's okay for someone to walk up to me and say, what, by, what scriptures have you read today that's impacted you? I'll do that in staff, won't I? Everybody gets a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I think we ought to have staff that's accountable to each other. I think we all need to be accountable. But if you're at a place where you're just desperate for God. I want to get open this altar this morning. There, I believe there's maybe some men here that you want to, for God to 
radically change you. And there's some ladies here that just want heaven to open up over them, no matter what it takes, and just fill them up with the presence of God. Just a brief prayer time. I want you to just come and join me as we worship right here. We're going to pray for that to happen this week, that the presence of God just invades us, heals us. If you need, if you have a, a sickness, you're battling an illness that's kind of captivated your thoughts, and maybe you have anxieties about maybe something seriously is wrong with you, and that's attacking your mind, get down here and ask God to give you peace and bring healing to you. In 